Hey, welcome to the Liberal Conservative Podcast. Hey, I'm your host, Clint Wayne. Um, today we're going to discuss climate change. I think you see a lot of extreme views on climate change. There are extreme narratives saying we're past the point of no return. There are extreme views questioning whether climate change even exists. So we're going to hope to get through all that today. So as I told you before, I try to keep my podcast to about 20 minutes, 18 to 22 is my goal. Um, I had a listener send a message in to me and ask that we move the headlines of the week or the current events section to the end. They said it kind of interrupted their thought process when we were talking about uh, the various topics that we talk about. So we're going to try that today. Hopefully it works. Um, I also have some extremely great news. We got approved today for um, various podcast uh, suites, podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, we should be there by now. We're approved on Listen Now, we're approved on Spotify, um, Amazon, as well as Apple Podcasts. So I will be posting links to those on our YouTube page where I've been posting our podcast. I'm going to continue for now to post podcasts on YouTube and, and hopefully you guys can migrate over to wherever you receive your podcasts. So I'm super excited about that. Let's hope we get going. So once again, we are talking about climate change and specifically on climate change, the ram the ramifications of climate change on the world economy. You know, so I think it's very arrogant for us to believe that climate change does not exist, which you see some radical views like that. I mean, for example, the population in 1800 was about 1 billion people. And today we're sitting at about 8 billion people. So I'm obviously not a math major, but the population is eight times larger than it was 200 years ago, right? So that's a lot. And based on those numbers alone, I think it would lead one to believe that we likely have at least, I, I would say a large impact. And some people will probably argue an enormous impact on the climate, right? Today, most people in the world, they get their goods through shipping. You know, we have cargo ships use fuel oil, jets use jet fuel, um, vehicles, the vehicles that most of us drive in the world today, they use gas, right? Uh, tractors and farming equipment use diesel or gas. So there are a lot of, of emissions present today that were not present in the 1800s um, to the early 1900s, really. Um, you know, some of the richest countries in the world right now are oil producers. Look at the Saudis. Uh, people really need to wake up and see this. There is still money and there's still a necessity for petroleum and petroleum products. Um, the Saudis, for example, they have been, they have some hedge funds. I, I, they're called like Saudi funds, public funds, something to that effect. Um, they go through, they've been buying up uh, large soccer uh, teams in, in Europe, you know, and soccer is the biggest sport in the world. And they're, they're snapping up these, these big teams like Manchester City and Newcastle. Um, they have a Saudi soccer league right now that is that's snapping up all kinds of big name people, uh, Brazilian named Neymar, if you're not aware, um, and Cristiano Ronaldo's there, Jordan Henderson is there, just a lot of big name soccer kids are, or I shouldn't say kids, they're grown men, are, are in Saudis now because they have a lot of money, right? So in my opinion, our country, the United States could be energy independent right now if our government would allow us to do so. You know, to me, we could once again be one of the top countries in the world. After World War II, 50% of the goods produced in the world were from the United States. And I feel we could get there again. 
So, you know, as I said earlier, there's obviously still a large market for petroleum products. You have climate change activists who are trying to push legislation to stop or lower all oil production um, and fossil fuel production. We as a country and a planet are, are, in my opinion, are just not ready for that. You know, if our politicians continue to push legislation that bans the use of gas powered vehicles uh, by certain dates or shuts down coal coal burning power plants, they're going to kill the economy. And, you know, we are already seeing that here in the United States. I mean, I don't have to tell you how bad our economy is, right? I've lost a buttload in my retirement. Um, countries and politicians can just cannot kill economies in the name of climate change. I, I can use California as a prime example of what environmental legislation can do to an economy. I mean, you look, they're just in massive debt. California is just a mess, right? Uh, the California's Climate Commitment Act has a goal of being carbon neutral by the year 2045. Uh, they have a Senate bill, 11347, that bans any new oil and gas wells or major retrofitting of existing wells with, within a new health protection zone of 3,200 feet um, between the wells and homes, schools, nursing homes, and, and hospitals. In addition to, to the forestry, through the forestry policies that they've implemented, you know, clearing brush in forests, uh, dead trees, they, they banned all that and it's led to some extreme wildfires. Activists point to climate change as the cause of the wildfires, but they ignore the forestry policies that leave the sources for this fuel, for this burn fuel in place instead of getting rid of it. Now, I, I will say climate change, the drought, the droughts that we're seeing and things like that, they're obviously going to have, they're going to affect the ground cover. The, it's going to be dry and it's going to, and it's going to, and it's going to burn easily. But if you go in, you clear all that dried brush, you're not going to have the major issues that, that happened today in wildfires. You know, just last week, the Biden administration blocked drilling on millions of acres in the Alaskan, in the Alaskan tundra. Uh, when Biden first came into office, he killed the Keystone Pipeline. You know, in January 2021, Biden used an executive order to halt new oil and natural gas leases on public lands and waters. So it appears that the goal of all these legislations is to get away from fossil fuels and implement electric power. You, however, you, the infrastructure is just not there yet. And, and I'm going to show you some examples later. It's cost prohibitive to most people in the world. You know, the concept of moving to all electric power is as, as admirable as that is, as admirable as that is, it's just not feasible right now. You know, um, last week, Biden's energy secretary, whose name is Jennifer Granholm, she took a trip through the South to show how easy it is to travel on an electric vehicle. And she had major issues from her staff blocking uh, charging stations so she could charge uh, to just not being able to find power to charge your, your vehicle, not being able to find adequate uh, charging stations. The cost of charging stations is expensive. Um, in fact, there's, there was an AP reporter who traveled with, with the energy secretary. He also happens to drive an electric vehicle. And he wrote in his, in his column that said, unless you drive a, a Tesla, there are significant issues with electric vehicle use and charging in the United States. And, and you can go back in August of 2023, Ford CEO Jim Farley took a cross-country trip in a Ford Lightning. And he called the trip a reality check. Um, Ford announced they lost billions of dollars in, in electric vehicle research and development. Um, the main complaint from the Ford CEO was charging times. Um, he had 
horrible charging times, charging, charging stations were out of order, the cost of charging is prohibited, and finding an adequate charging station that doesn't take hours to charge is, has been a challenge. So I can give you several examples of, of people that I personally know who have given up on electric vehicles. I personally, I, I believe they're a great idea. I think, I hope that we can get to that point, but the infrastructure is not there and the cost is just too high. So, you know, you look at these electric vehicles, what runs these electric vehicles? Well, lithium batteries run these electric vehicles. And what is lithium? Well, it is a natural resource, right? It's, it's mined. What charges these batteries? Well, coal charges these batteries. So what I don't, I don't get the difference between using one natural resource, which is lithium versus fossil fuel for power. Now I know they're going to talk about emissions and I think that we, we do need to get away from emissions, carbon emitting vehicles but I think we will get there. So here's what I believe the main difference is in electricity um, and, and coal burning power plants or, or, or fossil fuel power. So electricity can run your phone, electricity can run your car, but electricity cannot build your phone and electricity cannot build your car. We must use fossil fuels. Um, look at tires for your car, you know, petroleum, the rubber on the soles of your shoes come, comes from petroleum. The plastic um, case that encases your electronic phone, your iPhone, your Samsung, whatever, it's made from petroleum. Um, the components inside your phone that, that make your phone work, they're made from petroleum. You know, and I spoke about lithium earlier. Where does it come from? It comes from a mine, right? So um, guess what? There are large deposits of lithium in Africa. And guess who's buying lithium mines in Africa? Yeah, it's China. In the last few years, China has paid $7.9 billion for lithium mines all over the world. And this should be a wake-up call for us here in the United States. That's out of control. Uh, you know, recently we've seen activists blocking highways, throwing paint on classic works of art, causing disruption on public transit. Uh, the stop oil people use petroleum paint while they wear their Chuck Taylors, and they use transportation to get to their protest sites to block traffic. Um, the blocking traffic causes more idling time, leading to greater concentration of, of emissions. And their radical agenda, in my opinion, is turning people away from, from the cause. That is, it is an admirable, admirable cause, but you're turning people away from it. And you look, that happens all down through history. Look at the summer, you know, when right when Trump, his last year in office, when all the Antifa, Antifa were, were protesting and, you know, people just get tired of it. So if you look at history, electricity did not replace kerosene or other fuels used in homes, you know, for light and heat until it was more cost effective for the common person. You know, it, it, it has been this way throughout history. Telephones were only in the homes of the ultra rich until they became cost effective. Um, I believe we'll get to that point in the world where we use little fuel that produces emissions. But right now, I just don't think we're close to that yet. Um, so what's the good news in all this doom and gloom? I believe the one thing that the COVID pandemic has showed us is that the world can heal itself and it will heal itself rather quickly. And, you know, remember when cities were smog free during the shutdowns, you know, we saw buildings, mountains, and scenery that was not visible before the shutdown. And why is that? I believe it's because we are not past the point of no return, right? The earth will heal itself and we'll be able to help it heal itself. To me, the way to get our infrastructure to a sustainable point to support more carbon neutral modes of, trans of travel is to incentivize research and development. You know, tax breaks and government research assistance will help turn 
uh, companies on to a more sustainable energy. In addition, our current energy agenda will put food production in jeopardy. Currently, less than 2% of U.S. farmers of the U.S. are farmers. The high cost of doing business in a mandated carbon neutral society will put a lot of them out of business. I think we're seeing it already with the current administration's energy policies. I believe probably the best way we can move away from fossil fuels is, you know, if we if we open up drilling and we try to become energy independent, I think if you mandate these oil companies uh, put money into research and development in exchange for public land leases or oil leases on public land. I think you mandate uh, research and development. You monitor that research and development. And you can ensure that we're moving forward. And I believe that'll work. I hope it'll work. I mean, if I ever become a politician, which I won't, maybe it'll work. Thank you, guys. I'm going to move on to the headlines of the day, and we'll get moving. Thank you. Okay, you know that sound. It is the crazy headlines of the week. So this week, uh, the first headline went largely unnoticed in my opinion. I didn't see a lot of news on it. It was a, it was from Fox, so we know it's a little radical. But uh, the ex, it says the headline says an ex FBI official in the Trump Russia probe who admitted to Russian oligarch scheme nearing plea deal in second DC case. So. I didn't even hear about the first case. Maybe I missed it. I like to think that I'm informed. But um, earlier this year, an ex-FBI leader whose name is, is Charles McCongill, I think, McCongill, McCongill, admitted to money laundering scheme in Bosch involving a Russian oligarch, Oleg Deripaska. Deripaska. All right. The former FBI man pled guilty to conspiring to violate the Emergency Economic Powers Act in an agreement um, to provide services to Deripaska. In addition, McConnell is about to plead guilty to concealing $225,000 in cash that he received from a former Albanian, Albanian intelligence officer. So as I just said, I had no idea about this story until it was published on Fox on September 19th. So if, if this is true, I mean, to me, this is total treason. I mean, we have an FBI official who's conspiring to work with the Russians taking money from a former satellite, Soviet satellite state. You know, when I first came into the Navy, the Johnny Walker spy case was still relevant. Um, Toshiba had just sold uh, the Russians a milling machine used to make submarine propellers that made our submarines vastly quieter than the Russian submarines. Um, and to me, this guy, McConnell, is just as bad as both of those instances. It, it doesn't appear that he sold any secrets, at least based on what I read. But however... You had a, a federal law enforcement, but in, a federal law enforcement individual who was involved in investigating a sitting president, um, you know, for some serious accusations of Russian collusion, and he's also he's taking money from the same people he's allegedly investigating and the former satellite state, you know, of the Russians, which are you know, Russia's obviously a foreign foreign adversary. It, to me, is just crazy, inexcusable. Right. Okay. So in headline number two, 
This one comes from CNN.com, and it's an opinion piece written by Norman Eisen. Um, Eisen served as a counsel to the White House, uh, to White House Democrats in the first Trump, um, I shouldn't say White House, he served as counsel to the House Democrats in the first Trump impeachment, and he was the White House White House ethics czar and the ambassador to the Czech Republic in the in the Obama administration. The first thing I noticed about this article is obviously the author. You know, I intend I anticipated that it would be very biased. Um, you know, in the article because he obviously embraced the extreme liberal side of the Democratic Party. And I would feel the same way if I read an article written by Ken Starr, who you guys might remember was special counsel for the on the Republican side when Clinton was impeached. I think he was in charge of the investigation. Um, but the headline reads, The Biden impeachment inquiry is, inquiry is nothing more than a Trump vendetta. Now, in a sense, that headline is probably true. However, he attacks the basis for the, for the Biden inquiry, saying evidence does not even amount to an allegation of ordinary crimes, much less high ones, right? So based on the limited evidence I've been able to see, you know, just from searching, you know, various media outlets, it appears to me if what, if what the evidence is pointing to, Biden has 100% committed high crimes and misdemeanors by injecting him. He's been interjecting himself in foreign country in a foreign country's policy um, on behalf of his son and foreign companies and or in the foreign companies that his son happened to be on the board of. So, and I think he almost incriminated himself. You remember when he was on TV bragging about getting the prosecutor fired in the Ukraine. So with that being said, if the headline, the headline, in my opinion, is probably true. You know, it's, it says, it claims that the, that the Biden impeachment is, is an embedded in, in vendetta, right? And it speaks to the size of the gap between the political parties in, in our society. You know, in over 200 years, in the, in the 200 years after Andrew Johnson was impeached for purely, purely political reasons, you know, over, over the reconstruction and, and, um, we had no presidents impeached for 200 years. Now, two of the last four presidents have been impeached, and likely three of the last five presidents have been impeached. You know, the Clinton impeachment was purely political. I mean, he was he was being scandalous, doing some some interns. Um, I think that Clinton scared the conservative politicians because when he came into office, he was young. You remember he was on MTV playing playing uh, the saxophone and a pair of Ray-Bans. You know, he was energetic and he was an outsider. And then you come to Trump. I think Trump scared the liberal politicians because he had money and he didn't need to bow to the lobbyists and the special interest or the foreign governments as it appears that Biden might have. You know, in this case, I don't believe that Biden scares anyone. I, I think his administration has been a disaster. Even if you didn't vote for him, you have to hope that he that he will do a good job. And that just has not happened. You know, the, the Republicans, in my opinion, have seized to, on the on a tit for tat politics with the Democrats. I believe that all the previous presidential impe impeachments, including Andrew Johnson, um, could be damning for our country. You know, it's just crazy. Um, if Biden did influence foreign policy in the Ukraine and China for his son, you know, it's despicable and he should be impeached. And that's just all there is to it. So those are my two headlines for the day. You may have noticed the headlines of the week, the crazy headlines of the week. I don't know what we're going to call this segment yet, but I like to give you a little bit of current events on top of the hot button issues. So a listener 
um, messaged me and told me I should move these to the end. So I, we're going to try it. I mean, it doesn't hurt to try. This is only the third episode. So we're going to try. Um, in the next few weeks, I told you before we've teased that we're going to be looking at some several hope, several high-profile use of force incidents involving the police. Um, next week, we're going to tackle the border crisis. As I told you before, I try to keep these to about 20 minutes. We're sitting at about 20 minutes right now. Um, people just don't have the time. So I hope that you'll join me for the next week's episode, which is on the border crisis. Then we'll start jumping into some high-profile police use of force. Once again, thank you for listening to the Liberal Conservative Podcast. I hope that you keep listening. Thank you so much. Bye.